Your next guests are a wonderful rock and roll band. Their current CD is entitled Welcome Interstate Managers. Ladies and gentlemen, here they are, Fountains of Wayne. Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. It is great having you all here. Before we get into the episode proper, I just want to mention uh, patrons. We got a, a bunch of new patrons. So I want to mention all my newest patrons. I got uh, welcome Paul Mahern, Eric Arbach, Daniel Little, James Dougherty, and Leslie Geller. They all became patrons of the show just recently, and uh, you too could become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron like my newest patrons I just mentioned. All right, we got that out of the way. I have a guest uh, now all the way from California. We were just talking. It's, it's, technology is amazing, right? Because he's all the way on the other side of the country, and it sounds like he's right here sitting beside me. So I'd like to welcome drummer, writer. Uh, his most recent book is Forbidden Beat. Perspectives on punk drumming. Welcome to the show, Steve Loudon or S. W. Loudon. Welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Good, awesome. I'm glad you're thrilled. We'll see how you you feel the same way by the end of the episode. We'll see if you still. Hey, listen, with my crazy theories about this record, you might be regretting having me on the show. Yeah, well, all right. So this is going to be interesting because you. I, I love that once in a while people not only do they want to do a record, but they have like this theory about a record. And this, you, what you little you told me about already. You seem to have gone the most. This is the, the most anyone's ever gone with having like this grand theory about uh, a record that may just be in in your head, right? <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm willing to guess it is one thousand percent in my head. Is a strange relationship that I developed with this album um, almost twenty years after it was released because of an essay I wrote about the band. Ah, okay. Well, you know what? Let's just get right in it then. What is the album? What is the band we're talking about? Uh, we're talking about the band Fountains of Wayne, and we are talking about their third studio album, Welcome Interstate Managers. Yes. Awesome. All right. So before we get into anything else, I'm going to be 100% brutally honest because as all you that record got me high listeners know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm honest. I always say, if I'm being honest, so I got to be honest, and you know, it's like I should just be honest, right? But I am. 
mostly what I know about Fountains of Wayne is that one song, Stacy's Mom. And I will admit, I sort of thought of them as kind of like a one-hit wonder band. Oh, that's the Fountains of Wayne, that's that song. And later, I know I have a lot of friends and I read a lot of things. Oh no, these guys, they're a really great band and they have really great songwriters. And Adam, um, how do you pronounce Adam's name? Last name? Schlesinger. 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 Uh, passed away, sadly, passed away of COVID, like one of the first like well-known people to die of COVID at a really young age. Uh, but he was a great songwriter. So I understand all that. But even knowing all that, I never still got to dive into the band until you picked this record. And I've been listening to this record all week. So this so this should be interesting for you as someone that became kind of obsessed with this record in particular, talking to someone that this is the first time I ever listened to this record. Yeah, I want to hear your crazy theories about it as well. <laughs> well, I do. I have some, I mean, I have thoughts. I don't know if I have theories. Uh, all right, so let's get to it. Uh, this was actually their third album, uh, released on June 10th, 2003. Uh, but they have an interesting history because they were actually, they were together in the 90s. And I guess after their second album, they were, they were dropped by, by their label, right? That is the case, right? And that is actually uh, the basis of a lot of my theories of, about this record. Theories are fan fiction that I, I told myself about this record. Yeah, because from, from a little I was reading, uh, Chris Collingwood uh, uh, and, and uh, Adam Schlesinger, uh, you know, uh, they're the, the main core of Fountains of Wayne. They, they wrote all the songs. And I guess Chris in particular was really, you know, down about getting dropped and kind of went into a funk, a depression. So it, it was a long time in between the second and third album when they finally you know, did another album and got on a, a, a new label, right? And it ended up being a, a breakout album for them, right? Yeah, it's, uh, so I'll just kind of tell the story of how I got into it, right? Yeah, so yeah, do the, it, do this, it. The essay that I wrote about Fountains of Wayne was called Power Pop for Slackers. And it was included in a Power Pop essay collection that I co-edited with Paul Myers, um, who was a musician and a podcaster and and a writer, a really cool, talented guy. Um, we put we curated, I think, twenty four essays about power pop in this collection co- called "Go All the Way." Okay, uh, it, nice. came out, it came out in twenty nineteen, towards the end of twenty nineteen, but we were already working on it in partnership in twenty eighteen. Um, when I first got involved, we knew we were going to curate the essays. Um, but we also agreed that we would each contribute an essay about a power pop band or artist or album. And my initial thought, because I'm a drummer, was that I would write about power pop drummers because there have been a lot of really great power pop drummers. I mean, yeah. you can the roots back to Ringo Starr and Bunny Carlos, etc. But then I met Ira Elliott from Not A Surf, and he is such a great drummer and loves Ringo Starr so much and knows power pop so well that I gave him that essay. And so that left me without an essay. And I started thinking about what would be a, a power pop band that I would, would run a write about. And I really kind of started honing in on the 90s that I wanted to write about something that wasn't the 70s, like the Raspberries or something. And right. Fountains of Wayne was this band that I fell really hard for when their first record came out in 1996. You oh, know, the, OK. OK. Radiation Vibe was the first, you know, single off that record. And it really got my attention. I mean, I'm a guy who grew up listening you know i grew up in the south bay in southern california so i basically grew up with sst as like my hometown record label and and you know black flag and and the descendants and all that kind of stuff but i was always a sucker for a pop but you
this record came out, my roommate and I just really fell hard for it and really fell in love with them. So we became overnight Fountains of Wayne fans and got their second record, Utopia Parkway, when that came out in 99. Those are the only two records that came out on Atlantic, Fountains of Wayne in 1996 and Utopia Parkway in 1999. Um, Welcome Interstate Managers was the record that they self-funded after getting dropped by Atlantic. And so I ended up interviewing Adam Schlesinger uh, at the end of 2018. He was, you know, a, a, a musical hero of mine, uh, a beloved songwriter, um, such a tragedy that we lost him. Oh, yeah. And, but when I spoke with him, he was so open about the band and just so giving to me of his time. Uh, it was it's a really special memory for me. So, like, I have a lot of emotion uh, invested in this essay and Getting ready for that interview, I went as a responsible <laughs> writer. I went and listened, re-listened to their entire catalog, and and it was even some stuff that was newer to me that I hadn't really paid attention to, like "Sky Full of Holes," which was their final studio album that came out in 2011. But as I listened to their whole catalog, I kind of started realizing I was honing in on song specific songs, and when I really went and looked at what I was listening to on the shuffle of all their music. Uh, most of it was from Welcome Interstate Managers. And so I started specifically listening to that as an album in order, not as one-off songs, not as a shuffled playlist of their entire catalog. Right. But I started honing in on Welcome Interstate Managers because I realized a lot of the stuff that was standing out to me at this period was from this album. And so I wrote the essay, I handed it in, the book got published. And suddenly I kind of realized that I had been listening to Welcome Interstate Managers for better or for worse, more or less, uh, on repeat for about five or six months. Wow. Uh, something really caught me about this album at that moment that I wrote that essay and interviewed Adam and, and was putting out this power pop book. And as I was listening, because I'm somebody who not only writes nonfiction about music, but who's also published fiction, I'm pretty good at telling stories to myself. I started kind of telling myself a story about what the record was about. Um, and, you know, it, where I landed was I decided it was sort of an unheralded Generation X concept album, like, but like a reluctant concept, concept album, sort of along the lines of like Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by like the Flaming Lips. by Radiohead as right. a concept record. I don't know that the bands own that they're concept records or maybe right. they're a little reluctant to say that. And then the other one I would put in that in that pile would be like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, which isn't really so much a, a, a concept record except for it's about a band falling apart, getting dropped by their label and then coming back together. 
Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, well, well, yeah. So, so that's the thing. Sometimes you listen to records, and it's a certain time when you discover it, and it could become even if it wasn't intended to be a concept, it could become a concept album for you as a listener, right? Yeah, very much so. And and like I had this record when it came out in two thousand three. I was a fan, right? So right. I I love Stacy's mom, but I think in two thousand three. I took it at face value, um, which I'm going to caution everybody is the healthy way to listen to the record, um, yeah. <laughs> not to create fan fiction in your head about what or what may or may not have happened between the songwriters. Um, when I listened to it again in 2019, I started just it, where, it, where it started is I started hearing little themes that I hadn't recognized before. If you start to, as a leaping off point, Welcome Interstate Managers isn't exactly like a, a screaming rock and roll album title. You know, it's oh, right, 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 that right. it's a little left field, which isn't surprising for Fountains of Wayne. They they do a lot of wordplay. Oh, yeah. Um, very. Yeah. Very clever. Uh, very clever. You could tell they're smart guys. They're intelligent guys. And that's what to me was interesting because it is such a poppy album and there's so many earworms and i feel like i i I almost as i was listening to it more and more and the songs get in my head and it's like wow there's really great pop songs but how much of it is just craft like they're crafting these great pop songs but it's like it's it's almost different than a band that's just making power pop I, i don't know for i was wondering if it's if it's if there's a difference because you didn't mention adam like he wrote uh some other songs that i was shocked to know that he wrote that what did he write what's the song that everyone knows that he wrote that thing you do from yeah the, from that movie, movie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you doing that Right, He's right. a prolific, incredibly talented, like wizard level pop songwriter. Like, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And I think, you know, that part of this, this relationship that I developed with this record that year in 2019 was thinking about it through the lens of power pop because I had, had co edited this, this book about uh, the history of power pop that touched on all these big power pop groups from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, right? And so I was looking at it from that perspective and power pop, one of the hallmarks of power pop is that the songs are self-contained, right? And right. it's not like exactly. super, exactly. not yeah. super thinky music. No, you're not going to have, you can't even imagine like a, 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 con, a power pop concept album. It sounds crazy. It sounds like an oxymoron. Well, right. And it, it, it is kind of crazy. The other thing I want to make sure that I say up front is anything I say that, that when I'm talking about the songs on this album or some crazy theory I developed one I know it's unhinged two it's got nothing to do with anything the band said right even though <laughs> yeah because not- you interviewed Adam and everything right so you don't want to you don't want to say that oh this is stuff Adam told me this is a shit that no, you no, came neither up with on of your them own. Is never validated <laughs> or weighed in on any of this right um, the, uh, there was one at one point I was like, I wonder if other people have thought of this as a concept record. And I did some digging. And I think Chris at one point did say it was he he thought of it as kind of a concept record. It's about somebody who dies in a plane crash, I think is what he said. I'm misquoting here. Um, and their whole life flashes in front of their eyes. In okay. One okay. Well, there is a lot of uh, death. Like there's there's death in here, but taken in a kind of a light way. And there is some air travel things in here. So yeah, there is uh, two things I want to mention before we get into it. Uh, one thing uh, that I noticed was that 
Although uh, Collingwood and Schlesinger, oh God, I have trouble with that guy's name, agreed early on to share dual writing credits uh, for all of their songs, they mainly wrote their songs separately, right? Yeah, it was a it was sort of a Lennon McCartan thing where right. it was just when they first started, they were you know all in it together and it just made more sense never to fight about money. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is really cool. That's amazing. And I think it's like the, the way that the, their, their professional and personal relationship developed, it just made the most sense to do that. But when I interviewed Adam, he did say that, you know, as time went along, they, they did write separately. They just continued to credit as a team. Right. Right. And yeah. another thing I noticed, which you can, especially me coming from someone that just listened to this, that always heard about them and never heard them is you hear a lot of their influences and in other bands. They love you. You really hear it, but it's almost like, are these guys trying to write a Weezer song? Are they trying to write a Cars song? Are they trying to write a Oasis song? And I, I think they are in a way, you know, in, in, in some way, you know, cause they're trying to do something that they love. And a lot of these songs sound uh, lyrically, they seem personal, very personal. But then when you read, they're just they're just stories that they make up, and they're not actually about people. But the way they're written, you would think they're about. Oh, this has got to be about real people. But a lot of them aren't actually, right? Yeah, no. They. I think you're right that they definitely weren't afraid to wear their um, influences on their sleeve or to like put on the costume of another band occasionally. Right, right, right. Their writings. I kind of love that about them. Lyrically, they're so self aware. Um, and really, I always thought of them. I don't know if anybody else agrees with this, but my personal take was that they were they were masterful at writing character sketches. So they would. Put, oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely put people in these bizarre situations that, you know, because it's in these these guitar pop power pop tropes, the way they sound, you think it's a love song. But if you really listen to the words, it's really about somebody hating their day job. Yeah. And it's much more messed up. Well, that's good. That leads us good into the first song because it's definitely you got in this little song, you got three different people and just little vignettes about these three different people. Uh, Let's listen to the opening track, Mexican Wine. He was killed by a cellular phone explosion. They scattered his ashes across the ocean. The water was used to make baby lotion. The wheels of promotion were set into motion. But the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine. I tried to change, but I changed my mind. Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine. I 
I was just going to say, it's such a beautiful song, and I'm glad you played as much of it as you did because I have a hard time turning that one off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I know what you mean. Uh, the, you know, the, so like, my, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. What my theory was is, it, this is a Generation X concept record. The way that I think about it, again, nothing to do with how the band talks about it, or yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. In any kind of reality, but I, I think it is about their relationship to their music career up to that point and how they were struggling with what they dreamed it would be like and what the realities were. Um, and so what you see is a, a lot of uh, songwriting that can be interpreted is about the collision of art and commerce and where the music industry was in the beginning of the 2000s. So you see the rise of digital technology gets talked a lot about in this record. Um, this is because of the rise of digital technology. The record industry at this point in 2003 is starting to change, you know, Napster and all that kind of stuff. Um, and also at the same moment, rock music dominance is for the first time declining, right? I always describe the early 2000s as when the Beatles finally lost their stranglehold on pop culture. Um, and so where this start, the themes you start to see happen is this wistful looking back at your teenage dreams. And almost any time he sings, they're singing from the perspective of a teenager, the teenager is dreaming of being an adult. So you've got an adult looking back at a teenager dreaming of being an uh, adult. Uh, so they're facing those realities. Uh, technological reliance and dependency is shot throughout. And then what always, I think what really first caught my attention is the, the amount of drinking that happens in this record. I mean, Fountains of Wayne is not Motley Crue, right? You don't think right, of them right, as right. like party band. <laughs> well, but it, man, is there a lot of drinking on this record? It isn't right, but but it isn't a party drinking like Motley Crue. It's like sad uh, desperation, <laughs> you know, drinking. <laughs> it's like drinking just sort of to to cope with life, right? Or to cope, right? So to cope with your career. So Welcome Interstate Managers sets it up that like this is like mid-level like furniture store managers that are coming together for the annual conference at some like holiday inn off the like highway or something right like it's right. not super glamorous but the opening verse the very first words you hear he was killed by a cellular phone explosion here's this guy who was a trying to be a rock star had had these dreams since he was a teenager um, and then cellular explosion being that the rise of digital technology killed his career um, they scattered his ashes across the ocean, just meaning it's universal. And then the water was used to make baby lotion, which is just your product. Right, right, right. And, right. and, and the wheels of promotion were set into motion. So like his death becomes the product. And so that was my entry into like, man, maybe he's singing about something much bigger here. Um, and and it, uh, around these themes of the collision of art and commerce and what ah, had happened. Okay, okay. Way. Yeah, I'm on yeah. board. I think I'm on board for all that. I... I... <laughs> I really do because yeah, in, in reading just a little about it, especially Chris uh, Collingwood was just so like, imagine because you're, you're in a band and, and you're, and you're working and you're touring and you're doing good. You're touring Europe, you're touring constantly, you're getting good reviews, you're going, and then all of a sudden you just get dropped by your label and then he ends up going home. And it's like those years, the four years seem like, you know, I work so hard and then what do I have? I have nothing. Of course he doesn't have any money. You don't have any, any, you know, any clout anymore. You're like basically starting over. And I guess I read the most uh, degrading thing was that they were trying, like labels wanted them to like record demos. And they're like, we don't want to do demos anymore. We're bad. We put out two records. We just want to record uh, an album, you know? Uh, so. Well, and I, and I think that gets cr uh, chronicled here, right? So that 
Now you've got Mexican wine. Now Mexican wine is just, I think the first two songs in my, in my sort of unhinged theory about this record being about their, their career up to that point, Mexican wine is like, I, I know now what the realities of the, the record industry are, but I'm going to go back to sort of like my original dream about this. Like, I'm just going to go back to what I know about it, which is that like, I'm kicking it back in the sun and just kind of partying, right? Like rock and roll. Right. The next song is the flip side of that, right? Yep, bright yep. Sales <laughs> where, okay, maybe if I want to keep doing this, I got to buy in a little bit with the man with corporate rock and roll. And so he's singing about getting his shit together because he can't live like that forever. And he ends on, I've got a new computer and bright future in sales, meaning like digital music is on the ride, on the rise. And because I belong in a, a, a corporate rock and roll culture, it's not the 70s, right? It's not freewheeling um, rock and roll culture. By the early 2000s, it's a big corporate machine. So now he's saying, I've got, I've got a bright future in sales, meaning if I write a hit, then I have to go sell it over and over. Yep. So those and are the cold realities of the music business that if you looked at through a sort of cynical lens. That's a good segue into the second song. And also there's that heavy drinking you were talking about too. So let's just do bright feature and sale. Sleeping on a planner at the part authority, waiting for my bus to come. Seven scotch and sodas at the office party Now I don't remember where I'm from I think I had a black wallet in my back pocket With a bus ticket and a picture of my baby inside And if I make it home alive I'm gonna get my shit together Cause I can't live like this forever No, I've come too far and I don't wanna fail I got a new is like a probably alcoholic salesman on the road but it could just as easily be a uh a band a guy in a band on the road right yeah yeah you're hawking your wares right you got to play the single you're exactly. trying to sell right like so it's like the reality of being in a band is very different than what you know even in my own experience very different than what i would imagine when i was 15 and developed a passion for it and decided i was going to pursue it right um the reality of what that means, you know, the lawyers and the 400 page contracts and the commitments and the, you know, oh, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. The business, ugly. right. Yeah. So you mentioned, right. Like where they get, so this is to me that those first two songs, and I'm not going to go this in depth. I'm just setting up the, the, I'm just setting up the premise of my <laughs> about this record is this is a conversation this band is having with itself. On the one hand, it's like, screw that. We're just going to do what we always did. Mexican wine, right? Like we're going to go back to what we know. Uh, maybe we should put in a little effort and see if we can continue doing this. I, I wouldn't mind staying in a band and making more records. That's bright future in sales. Then you mentioned that the, all the labels they were going to were asking for a demo. They were like, we're not going to give you a demo. Like we're not like show ponies, right? Like it's, uh, we're just going to record a record. So then to me, these in my, theory <laughs> these next four songs are what that demo would have been and it is four absolutely devastatingly good 
power pop. Yeah, yeah, Bell right, right. Punk. Yeah. Like, oh, you assholes want to, you, you guys want to get some demos from us to see if we're worth signing? Check these four songs out. And they, it's really four takes on one theme. It's about sort of like classic boy, girl, pop rock love songs, but in four different modes. And the first of them is, oh, you guys didn't hear a single? Well, check this out. It's called Stacy's Mom. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's listen to it. <laughs> Great talk. Because it's such a good, and especially it's just got that little in the in the chorus. It's got I'm just not the girl. It's got that little off chord. So very the first three songs, like I said, the the obvious touchstone is Weezer to me. But this the uh, car is also you could hear in that opening thing. He said, he's just saying, you want to hear a hit single? Here's a fucking hit single. Yeah, and he's almost he's almost shoving it in Atlantic space, right? Like, okay, yeah. fine. You know, because um, it is, I mean, look, it, it, one hit wonder being a tag that, that we like to commercially put on people, that is a monster song. Like, it is so deserving of all the attention that it got. And it holds up. Like, it's got that timeless power pop thing that just continues to work, right? Like, it, thematically it works, sonically it works. Oh, it does. And also, it was their most, probably also, aside from being great songs, their most popular song because it had that great video with um, Rachel Hunter as uh, Stacey's mom. And it is, and I just watched it recently, and it's great. I mean, it's just a great uh, uh, video, but the song itself is just so goddamn catchy. Yeah, and, and you know, look, and the, the, the video's playing the game, right? So, like, it's... Exactly, it's, exactly, oh, 100%. We're going to play the MTV game, right? So, so, but... This also sets up one of the themes that runs throughout the record with him looking back on having a teenage perspective in a song. Right. Is a, when they write a character sketch, there's this teenage perspective, and usually the teenage perspective is the teenager wanting to be older. And in this case, he's got Stacy right there, right? So it's like he, the whole song's kind of him blowing Stacy off. I don't know what his situation with Stacy is. Oh, I know. Like, and, and, yeah, the, right it's there. actually played up in the video. It's played up even more. You're like, this kid's nuts. You know, what's the matter yeah. with him? <laughs> right. So, but like, 
I think it's funny that in this case it's 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 kind of playful, but it's like I know you think it's just a fantasy, but since your dad walked out, your mom could use a man like me. Like he's not just wanting, like he's not just lusting after the mom. No, he, he wants, wants to be his dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he subversive. Wants to it's up. very subversive for a, for a pop song. <laughs> <laughs> like you know so he's like already like uh he's got very adult ambitions let's just put it that way and then it goes like okay so we gave you the big crazy monster power pop hit but that's not the only kind of of love power pop song we can write how about this sort of mopey uh power pop song with a really weird title that ends up being one of the most beautiful songs they ever oh, it's wrote such a, this is probably like my favorite or one of my favorites on the whole record i just this is such it's, a good song it's incredible and it's called hackensack there you go hackensack <laughs> Sat together in period one, Fridays at eight fifteen. Now I see your face in the strangest places, movies and magazines. I saw you talking to Christopher Walken on my TV screen. But I will wait for you as long as. Never get back to hack and sack. I'll be here for you. I used to work in a record store. Now I work for my dad. And that that's a masterful fade because I used to work in a record store, but now I work for my dad is the situation that they're in. Right. They used to. Yes. Cool. Right. Right. But I, I also like, I have a, another uh, pet theory within my theory that, <laughs> of course. Uh, 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 that Hackensack is actually the flip of Stacy's mom about how he doesn't realize till too late that really he should, he was in love with Stacy, but he doesn't realize it until she moved to LA and got famous. And she moved to so LA. He's still in Hackensack pining away for her. Right. And so here again, you have a guy now, someone looking backwards, looking back to when he was young. Yeah. A guy uh, reminiscing over a girl he knew in his youth. But it almost felt like a cheat to me when I'm when I'm reading about it and realize, no, this isn't anything real at all. This is just something they just, you know, made up. And he like, if I ever get back to Hackensack, they just liked how that sounded. And it does sound awesome. It's like, what a great yeah. thing to put in a pop song, you know? Uh, so it's it's great. It's so well done. It's so well crafted. But it was surprising to me that there's no reality. It's just, you know, it's it's all just them making it all up in their, in their heads. Well, I mean, look, and I think that's probably one of the most important takeaways for why when when you asked me what record I wanted to talk about I chose this one because all crazy theories aside all the time I spent thinking about it just about every song on this record can totally stand on its own and it the fact that it gets dismissed as oh that's the record that has Stacy's mom on it yeah so much great music yep 
I was actually talking, I was with some friends. I have uh, some friends that we get together every month. We're like old guys now. A bunch of old guys get together for like a bag at a bagel place once a month. And I mentioned uh, that, oh, the next record I'm talking to this dude about, Fountains Away, and they're like, awesome. And they named other records. And I go, oh, no, it's the one with Stacey Mom. And I'm like, oh, why that one? But yeah, you're right, because this is a fucking great record. So yeah, it's just, it, it, it kind of has that, it kind of, became an albatross on them a little bit which is unfair and also i i feel like they had they were just had kind of like bad luck for a band too because uh yeah because there's definitely uh, at least two other songs that could have been big singles on this i think but it just didn't work out that way well we're, we're gonna decide if we agree on that because i actually think there could have been two other huge singles on here as well yeah no no but all right before we say anything else i just wanted this one song you know uh someone did a cover of it you know who i'm gonna say who did a really good cover of it and it's kind of shocking uh, it's been covered a lot but which one katie perry katie perry yes. on and uh, mtv unplugged did a cover of this and it's beautiful it's so good i used to know Together in period one, Fridays at 8.15. Now I see your face in the strangest places, movies and magazines. I saw you talking to Christopher Walken on my TV screen. It's probably just because the song itself is so good. But it's great. I mean, if you want to, I mean, I'll play a little bit of it under here. But uh, yeah, Katy Perry, did, I will just go on record as saying she did an awesome cover of this on her MTV. It's been covered by a lot of people. It's sort of one of those songs oh, that okay. Okay. it's a way it's a way to let people know that, you know, what good songwriting is. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like, Right, such, right. Such good well, song. Right? All right, like so that's you know what you you nailed it when you said they were going to do these songs. They're going to show you. Okay, here's that song, but each different. Now we get uh, the next one, "No Better Place," which is a vibe change again because this one's almost more singer songwritey pop than like power pop. It's not power pop really. It's more singer songwritey pop, uh, but still uh, just great. Just a great song. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of "No Better Place." Something there because it happens throughout this record. Brian Young's drumming 
is so good on this Oh, yeah, he's a great drummer, great drummer, yeah. Definitely. And uh, especially in a song like that, it would be easy to believe that that's Ringo Starr playing those drums. I mean, yeah. he fills so perfectly Ringo Starr, like late-era Beatles. Like, I don't think Brian Young gets enough credit for the incredible drumming he did in this band because it wasn't like a instrumental showcase band. It doesn't stand out, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just perfect. I did notice that, and especially because you're a drummer, I figured, well, this guy's got to be good. And, you know, it's the age-old thing. The band's only as good as their drummer. If they have a shitty drummer, it's, it's, it isn't going to be a good record no matter what. So, uh, well, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I was going to say it if you didn't say it, but... <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Jody Porter's guitar playing is also phenomenal throughout, but you, you made a good point, which is... You know, you said they kind of had bad luck. And I think that part of this is a timing thing, and I think it's what they're struggling with in this fan fiction I made up for myself, is they made the cardinal sin in 2003 of being a band that was about the songwriting, and that couldn't be any more different than what was popular at the time. Yeah, right. That's right? true. Absolutely true. Exactly. They're, 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 when you say power pop, you're talking about like 60s Beatle, reverent, classic, guitar pop writing and these guys were masters of it but they were so out of step with what was going on in 2003 so i don't know if it was just bad luck they happened to be incredibly talented and gifted in something that most people stopped caring about right right yeah that's a great point yeah because these four now this is the fourth song you said four songs all great pop songs but completely different in their own way like different sounding like it could be almost uh four different bands yeah well no and that's i think that's what they're saying that's what they're saying they're exactly. like, we can do this yeah. we can do that yeah. and what do you mean you don't want us so yeah. no better place is interesting so he leans into who do you want you know the thing is though they're like we're so good we can do what do you want us to be we'll be we could be anything and make it sound great <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's what I love about like, they're like, okay, we're going to get back in the game and we're, we're going to try to play the game, but we're going to kind of shove it in your face Atlantic. Right. Um, no better place is the third of the four songs that are in this mode. Right. Again, right. this, this one now he he's with the girl, but she's leaving him. I think that's another alternate universe version of Stacy. Oh, okay. Okay. But this is also, uh, this is interesting because it's a really sweet, uh, uh, like love song, but, it's a love song about writing a love song, trying to cheer yeah. someone up, you know, during a snowy yeah. New England winter. And then, and then the last in, in the series of these four songs that I'm quote unquote saying was the demo in my fictional universe is called Valley Winter Song. And the fact that the band that wrote Stacy's mom could also write something of this caliber right, and right. totally yeah. later on the same record yeah, totally really different. says something about the width and depth of their songwriting and performance talent. It does. All right, let's listen to Valley Winters. Hey, sweet Annie, don't take it so bad. You know the summer's coming soon Though the interstate is choking under salt and dirty sand And it seems the sun is hiding from the moon Your daddy told you when you were a girl The kind of things that come to those who wait So give it a rest girl Take a deep breath
pretty. So beautiful. It's incredibly pretty. And so in our little, in the theory that I came up with, this being the like, oh yeah, you don't think we can write a hit? Here's four in a row, right? The quote unquote demo. Then the next song, he goes back, they go back into this teenage mode of looking at the universe through teenage eyes and talk about, you know, completely out of nowhere pop songwriting themes this is about a football player. A high oh, I know. Player. I know. That totally blew me away. I didn't realize it's about a young football quarterback. Uh, and it's basically about how everything slows down and he clicks into focus at like a high pressure moment during a game. Yeah. Where the fuck did that come from? Okay. But so here it is, right? They hand in the four song demo and now the guy has to wait and see time's going to slow down until the record labels start getting back to him. Uh, <laughs> all right. There you go. Let's listen to all kinds of time. Clock's running down, the team's losing ground to the opposing defense. The young quarterback waits for the snap when suddenly it all starts to make sense. He's got all kinds of time, he's got all kinds of time. All kinds of time He's got all kinds of time All kinds of time He takes a step back He's under attack But he knows that no one can touch him Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest because if I hadn't really dug into it and read about it, I don't think I would have even picked up that it was actually about a, uh, a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, they they do that they do that throughout their albums. It comes up now and again, like where they'll just sing about a teenage sports person or like somebody in college, oh, okay, ending their football career. But uh, you shouldn't be able to write that pretty a pop song about a high school football player. <laughs> oh, I know, and it's crazy. And the song I read, did you, the song was featured in a, a promotional video for the National Football League in 2005. Yeah. So apparently someone <laughs> bit on it and did it. But yeah, you're right. It's total uh, crazy. Bonkers crazy. I mean, it, it, again, another song that I can just, uh, it really got my attention when I went back and re-listened. But this next song, this Little Red Light, is the one that like I really caught me when I went back and listened. This was the first one that dragged me into this record. Oh, really? Because I felt like I had missed something when I listened to it when it first came out. I was like, I don't even really remember this song, but it seems like specifically written for my tastes. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty straight ahead uh, breakup. It's like a breakup song, but all right. But I mean, who is the band now for this going to the rest of the record? I feel like they shifted and who is the band? I feel like these guys are band, uh, huge fans of, of who, of what band? Uh, I, I, I think of them as ultimately as Beatles fans. But oh, what, wait, what no. All right. Okay. Well then Oasis, Be- Beatles via oh. Oasis, because he sounds like Liam Gallagher singing in this song. He sounds oh, like but- 
I mean, but the last song on the record, the bonus track, he just throws, throws his hands in the air and he's like, screw it, we're Oasis. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, which is, which is fine because I'm always, I'm the same way, even though they're an easy band to hate because they're such... Uh, the, the, uh, the brothers are so douches, but man, they, they make some great music. But it's so funny because it's different. I feel like it's it's crap. The way these guys can do this in crap songs is different to when uh, the way the Oasis guys do. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, look in my in my in my little crazy theory. If all kinds of time is like they've handed the demo in and now they're waiting and it's time is stretching out and he's able to reconnect with the sort of Mexican wine self of of his where he was as a teenager looking forward to his music career. Okay, I wrote these great songs. Clearly, everybody's going to know what a genius I am or th- what a great band we are. Um, Little Red Light is how angry he is when he doesn't get a call from the record label. Uh, right? Okay, and, all right. One of the things I like about it is his relationship with, um, again, lyrically, these guys are geniuses. Um, his rela- Their relationship with um, technology in this song specifically uh, he says, uh, on my big black plastic Japanese cordless phone, on the desktop mailbox of my big black laptop, right, and on right. my big black <laughs> Radio Shack digital portable phone. So, like, he's just, like, going after technology in this song, which is kind of funny. But I love this song. I love the energy. It's, like, just a driving rock song. It's awesome. Let's listen to Little Red Light. I could definitely hear Liam Gallagher singing this, but I don't think Noel Gallagher would write, uh, his lyrics would be more simplistic than this. He wouldn't get as yeah. clever as he would, like you said, with all those uh, electronic uh, call-outs in there. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's it's such a kind of specifically mid to late 20s kind of like day job anger. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, and speaking of a, a job, a, a shitty job, we get another one where this guy, uh, really uh, upbeat song about a guy uh, with a shitty job, but, you know, uh, going home to his girl who cheers him up. And this is the other, this is a song that I feel like could have been also, or should have been a, a really big hit single song. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Hey Julie, I think actually got released as a single, but it wasn't a hit single. Um, I think that and Little Red Light are the two that I could have heard on radio at that time yeah. for whatever reason, uh, in retrospect. What I love about Hey Julie, and I've actually always thought this, I re- this was one of my favorite songs back in 2003 when the album came out, is this just feels like an updating of A Hard Day's Night. Thematically, they're kind of just singing about the same kind of thing where like, I have this terrible day job. The only thing that makes it worthwhile is I can come home and hang out with you and spend my money on you. Right, right, exactly. Awesome. All right, let's listen to Hey Julie. 
Working all day for a mean little man With a clip on tight and a rub on tan He's got me running around the office like a dog around a track But when I get back home you're always there to rub my back Hey Julie, look what they're doing to me Trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it And I'd never make it through without you around No, I'd never make it through without you around Hours on the phone making pointless calls I got a desk full of paper that means nothing at all Sometimes I catch myself staring into space Counting down the hours till I get to see your face Hey Julie, look what they're doing to me Trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it And I'd never make it through without you around No, I'd never make it through without you around How did it come to be? Yeah, one one other thing I really appreciate, especially in a song like this, is how they didn't overproduce things. Like this, this is something they just kept it. It's a really, it's a really great simple song. So they just kept it like that. You know, they didn't overproduce it. It's it's uh it's it's very simple. It's simply done, and that just uh, makes it sound uh, that much better and stand out more. I think you know. I, I think especially when you think about like most people don't think about like the track order and a lot of bands will actually put a lot of thought into this, but to put that song after probably the loudest and most driving rock song on the record right, is a right. really interesting choice. It, it makes Hey Julie stand out even more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it does. And all right. So here's something that we got to say, because we're not, we're not going to necessarily talk about every record because there's a lot of songs. And this is one thing. It's always my big complaint with when, when they switched over from vinyl to CDs, they all of a sudden could fit more music. And I swear no band was immune or not many bands were immune to that. They would just put too many songs on, on a record that didn't need to be on it. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, What's interesting, so in my theory earlier about the four perfect songs that was, quote-unquote, the demo in my little fantasy land, Stacy's Mom, Hackensack, No Better Place, and Valley Winter Song, those are all perfect. They're like, as I said earlier, they're devastating. Like, the songwriting is a masterclass in pop songwriting. Right. These next four songs, if you follow the thread of, like, The Little Red Light, they're still not getting called from labels, even though they've made these four songs that are perfect, in, in, to my ears, uh, he's just going home at night to his girl um, and after after his miserable job, which may be songwriting, right? Like his right, job right, may right. be songwriting and the terrible boss he's describing may be him uh, or the way that they talk to each other or their manager or whatever. But then they kind of like what these next four songs are even stylistically way further out. And three of the four of them are probably, I love this record to pieces. These three of these next four songs in the track listing we're not going to listen to him. Haley's Waitress, Hung Up on You, and Peace and Love. But in the middle of that is this song called Fire Island, which I think really brings the teen theme home, this idea of what I thought my rock and roll life was going to be like when I was 15 right. versus what the realities are. And it's, again, a bittersweet, somber piano song that's got really uh, idiosyncratic and specific lyrics, but it sets up really where the payoff of the theme of my sort of fan fiction theory about this record 
pays off in the song bought for a song but first we should listen to fire island because it's so it's just so pretty it is pretty and it also i noticed it has like sort of an early Britpop vibe i was thinking like squeeze almost like a squeeze vibe uh, yes that's so a great call let's listen to fire island driving on the lawn sleeping on the roof drinking all the alcohol all the kids from school will be naked in the pool while our parents are on fire island cranking up the tunes till the windows break feeding chocolate to the dark jumping on the couch till the feathers all come out while our parents are on fire just to get some of that trumpet in there right i, I had to <laughs> i mean and look it, what's what's so great about that song is like if you weren't really paying attention you would just assume that's a song about heartbreak yeah and right 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 about teenagers demanding independence from their parents while they go on a ski trip or something right, exactly and i don't know what your teen years were like but i personally connect with this song because like i was exactly the kind of teenager who made these kinds of mistakes and like, this is what I did with my freedom. Like this, right, this is right. how I squandered it, you know, uh, doing donuts on the lawn and feeding chocolate to the dog. It's just so dumb, right. but like so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's it. Yeah. So it is very, yeah, it's a very nostalgic feeling song. Uh, and it's set. All right. So what's it sets up about for a song. So, well, let's listen to, let's listen to about for a song and then you can give me, I'm sure this, I have a feeling this kind of really brings your grand theory together in a way. Yep. I thought so. <laughs> another <laughs> Oasis. Another one sounds very British, very Oasis-ish in a way. I think, uh, let's listen to about for a song.
before you get sold, you get bought for a song. So what's going on here? Well, I mean, you know, just tying back to, to my crazy fan fiction theory, this is a, a bitter scathing indictment of what it really is like to be in a band, right? right? Like I, I think it's probably pointed at Atlantic or maybe inwardly pointed at the band the way I read it. But it like hearing that validated my whole previous story that I made up about this being a concept record. Because right. <laughs> they're, an, they're an international touring band, right? What I think is the most interesting, and I don't know if everybody would key in on this, they're flying around the world and partying, but he always needs to get back to the van, not the bus. Right, so like, right, right. At a certain level, <laughs> you yep, know? Yep, um, not even at that level. He, yeah, they're touring yeah, with like and, smashing pumpkins and stuff, and you know they have a bus. <laughs> yeah, or several. <laughs> like they don't even want to be on the same bus together, right? Right, yeah. Um, but before you get sold, you get bought for a song. This Once you sign that record contract, you're a product. Yep. Right. The album's a product. The video's a product. And the band that tours to sell tickets and sell albums and T-shirts and the and the uh, build the awareness of the band is a product. And so you have to sell your soul in order to get to the point um, where you can be sold as that kind of product. That's the machinery of the music industry. As, as I understand it, he even says like he says, uh, tried to take a shuttle to Spain. They kicked me off of the plane. Very rock and roll. Um, I guess I'll go to Japan. Like he just on a whim, I guess I'll go to Japan. Right. It all looks the same when you stump for the man. This isn't about his rock and roll dreams anymore. It's a job. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because you're stumped. Yeah. Like you said, you're a slave to the label. Basically uh, they want, and they could at any minute, they could uh, set you free again, which like already happened to them and kind of put them in a downward spiral funk. Then it's like, yeah, it could happen to you again at any moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, just getting back to what I said, I, again, I think this was Chris and I'm, it's not a quote I'm paraphrasing said that like it is an album uh, concept album in that it is you know somebody goes down in a plane crash and it's their entire life in the blink of an eye right mexican wine starts with a plane crash and he actually in the third verse of that song talks about being a pilot who lost yeah his right license. right exactly and then you know this song is obviously brings that back at the beginning because you're hearing all of that pre-recorded airport hold music from uh, uh airline about international flights that's what he's talking about at the beginning on that pre-recorded stuff Right. And, you know, and then obviously he's on plane after plane after plane going on this world tour. So, like, look, it, to be honest with you, when we decided to talk about this record, I was like, I'm just going to lay out my crazy theory. And no, then the closer yeah, we got fine. to doing this, the closer we got to doing it, I was like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> am I going to come across as just completely unhinged? I don't really believe this anymore. It was just a really fun exercise that I had. And I think the thing that I really took away from it was, I'm not listening to albums enough that I was so overwhelmed by this sequential listening of a total album experience. Right. As opposed to shuffle, shuffle everything shuffle. And yeah. it really is. That's what's great. That's what I love about this podcast is that digging into the albums and you realize how much care a lot of bands do put into it and how much it does make it, you know, it takes you on this little journey. A lot of these great albums that you love are a journey from the beginning to the end. Right. And uh, it's great to like focus on that and not be like, you know, uh, you know, uh, shuffle. Like, everything doesn't have to be shuffle. Yeah. And it, it did change for a while anyway to listen the way i listen to music I, I started really consciously focusing on albums again which is something that i had just you know through attrition uh kind of drifted away from right and it, it is a totally different experience especially when you grew up with an album experience primarily and you got away from it getting back to it sort of feels like coming home and reconnecting with sort of a lost art or a lost language to a degree not to over 
overcomplicated or, or well, over I think the, 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 uh, the point of not overcomplicating thing is passed a, a long time ago, Steve. So, yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> See, that ship, you, that you, ship has sailed. <laughs> you do think I'm nuts. I should have never come. No. On the <laughs> no. All right. I now I we should got Soul Asylum time. <laughs> that was my other album. Oh, we we already did it. We already did it yeah, when uh, we I did it a couple album. years ago. We did it. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, all right. So a super collider. We're not going to talk about that's basically the love letter to uh, Oasis. Right. So they there was an obsession, like a little obsession there. And, and I think it's that maybe I see it because it's like, I remember when I heard them, I said, even if, if you didn't want to like them, it was like there was no avoiding it. It just sounded so good. You know, it was so good. So those early records. Uh, yeah, so. I think, too, that it's, it's interesting to think about, like, they're writing this record and recording it, let's say, 2001, 2002. It's released in 2003. They came up as power pop guys loving the Beatles. The closest thing to mainstream popular music that sounded like at that, like that at that point was Britpop. Right, and specifically, exactly. like you know, uh, you know, the, the Gallagher brothers had no problem just wearing their love of the Beatles on their sleeve. Right, you know? exactly. And slag, and simultaneously slagging the Beatles up at the same time. Yeah, that's just. You know, I feel like that's a bit of a pose. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so yours and mine, really sweet little wisp of a song. It's only like a, it's only like a minute long, but it's really pretty. Let's listen to yours and mine. In about an hour, the sunlight's gonna fade, and you and me will divvy up the wine, like everything else here. Yours and mine Picking up the paper Coffee's been made It's book review And face the nation time Two in the same mind Yours and mine really pretty and so kind of that is kind of the last song on the record but i want to ask you you're so obviously clearly invested in this record do you consider that the last song of the record or do you consider this next one we're going to play which was an extra one right that was added to the cd after yeah it was a it was the b-side i think of stacy's mom for the single okay um, and it was a bonus track on like itunes and i think the japanese release yours and mine is interesting because uh one is the callback to wine from Mexican wine. So it's like the party's over and they're dividing up the wine and they're both going to keep partying because there's more wine, but they're going to do it separately. Right. Um, I actually think this is about uh, the two songwriters, their partnership. Uh, that's how I, I, that's how I tend to view it. Okay. That's good. Um, and then the, yeah. And then the last song, just because I've listened to it so many times when elevator up was added on to not only the digital uh, tracking, but also was, there was an unauthorized vinyl pressing first time ever of this album that came out a year and a half ago. The band wasn't involved, but it's the first time. Oh, wow. <laughs> came out. And I believe Elevator Up is also on that. Okay. And and this is, it's a good example of they do, they do 
they do such a good sh- job of writing these seamlessly like this one could seem like oh it's just like a mindless a party pop song but it's like it's hard to distinct uh, to separate the craft involved in doing that because i always tell everyone it's like a, you know it, it's one of the hardest things is just to write a really great pop song you know it's like yeah. it's like you know it sounds easy if it's done well it sounds easy and thrown off but that's part of the craft right oh man yeah making making pop songwriting sound effortless is is like wizardry Exactly. That's it. And we get one last little blip of wizardry here. Let's listen to Elevator Up. I just want to mention one more time. It's so true. When you pay attention to Brian Young's drumming, he's great. He's fantastic. Oh, so good. They're all they're all so talented. And I think again, that's that one hit wonder thing where everybody just wants to kind of bottle up Stacy's mom as this moment where this band, against all odds, kind of broke through. But it's like they put out a lot of really incredibly good music across all of their albums and even the like uh, compilation of B sides called Out of State Plates. This level of songwriting and musicianship is evident throughout their entire catalog. Yeah, it is. And I I do. I feel kind of bad. But you know what? That happened to bands at the time. You know another band that I feel like that happened to? Not a Surf. Not a Surf had that one song that kind of like was a... uh, Popular. Yeah, yeah, the popular song. And then, But then it's like, they were great though. They were a great band and they have so many other great songs. But yeah, sometimes it's it's a curse, whatever. But not really. I mean, they did all right. The real real tragedy is uh, just Adam uh, dying so young and... uh, uh, and that was really sad, and it must have been really, you know, uh, shocking to you. You had spoken to him not that long before that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, as a writer or a journalist, you talk to a lot of people. I, you know, I would never claim to have any kind of personal connection to him. Um, it did hit me hard just because I, I cared about the band and his career, and and I knew a lot of people who know him personally. Yeah, knew him personally, and. Uh, it was it was devastating uh, just being a music fan, right? And just knowing how much good music would have come out of another 25 years 
of his being allowed to write killer music. Oh, right, right, right. Um, oh, so Steve, this was great. I'm really glad you uh, you came on and gave me uh, gave us your batshit crazy theory, and it's great. It's like fan fiction, right? It could be whatever you want it to be, and uh, I think you you did a really good job of, uh, and I, it makes sense to me. I, I'm on board, you know. <laughs> Listen, the most important thing to me that people take away, if you are still listening, I'm sorry. Don't be fooled by the one hit on this album. Go back and listen to it because I guarantee you. Oh, yeah, you no, absolutely. I did. I, I, I enjoyed I've been listening to it nonstop all week uh, on repeat as so I got the experience you did. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's just uh, from beginning to end. It's just like really good. So uh, I'm glad we did this. Um, all right. So so uh, Forbidden Beat uh, Perspectives on Punk Drumming d- doing really well, right? I saw it. Weren't you like number one on Amazon uh, like a, a week or so ago? Yeah, we had a little, you know, there's a, Amazon's funny because there's a lot of micro categories, but in, in yes. some of the music focused nonfiction categories, we've been doing really well. We've nice. gotten great reviews, but more than anything, I got to write a book, you know, or curate an essay collection with many contributors that is about something I'm super passionate about. And I got to collaborate with truly some of my heroes. And so like, it, it's like a dream come true as a musician and a, and, and a writer to be able to work with Mike Watt or Joey Shithead or D.H. Peligro or, you know, yep. Lynn Cotrull or Lori Barbero. The yep. list goes on. I got, to, I got to really connect with some incredibly talented, lifelong, dedicated punk rock musicians and drummers. And it, it was a real thrill. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So where's the best place uh, for people to go if they want to see uh, other stuff you've written, stuff you've done? Uh, where can they go? I think if you, you just Twitter at S.W. Loudon, S.W.L.A.U.D.E.N. Same exact handle on Instagram. Uh, I post everything I write. Uh, I do a lot of writing for Big Takeover Fanzine, which is a awesome. old school. Shout legendary. out to Jack Rabbit. Yes, I write for them a lot. So awesome. I post a lot of stuff that I write there. And of course, the books are all available and, and I'm working on a new book right now. All right, great. And are, are you playing at all still? Do, do you play? Yeah, uh, I, I did it professionally for some years, but these days I mostly do it for fun. I play in a power pop band called The Brothers Steve. Oh, nice. <laughs> but, yeah, and uh, we have two records out on an L.A. indie label called Big Stir Records, which a really cool group of people putting out fantastic guitar pop. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, we'll check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Steve. This was really great. Uh, don't forget, everyone, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high on Facebook is a lot of fun. Uh, Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, if you want to become a patron of the show, like uh, we've been getting new patrons lately and it's great and they contribute to the patron curated episodes which are so much fun you can go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh uh don't forget also rate review and subscribe share us with your friends if you enjoy it steve really it was a real pleasure talking to you and hopefully we'll have you on again i really appreciate it thanks so much for having me on and putting up with me man i appreciate it anytime all right i'm rob this is that where it got me high we'll see you guys next week sometimes i wonder where you